Well, as we continue our study, we're going through the Second London Baptist Confession, and today we're going to be exploring chapter 3, and it is of God's decree. And that word decree uh, is singular, and in light of it being singular, uh, we want to think about uh, God's decree as... uh, as singular because God is infinite, because God is, we have learned uh, in chapter 2, He is simple, He is eternal, He is immutable. And so as we think of God's decree, uh, we could think of it as singular in some sense according to God's perspective, but maybe according to our perspective as we think of God's decree uh, in, the, in the idea that God decrees everything. And we're going to see that in the confession and how that's played out. And then look in the scriptures and uh, dig deeper in that. Well, let's first look at, at uh, chapter 3. Um, and, and let's be reminded as we look at this chapter that it uh, stands on the foundation of chapter 1, which highlights the scriptures, and chapter 2 that explores the being of God and who is God and all of His wisdom and all of His goodness in all of His wrath, and all of His mercy, uh, in His essence, in His eternality, in His infinitude, if you will. And uh, the glory of God, it sets a foundation for talking about this chapter 3 of God's decree. So we'll read the first beginning portion here. It says, God hath decreed in Himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, Freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass. Um, this, this statement right here is really mind-blowing. As we look at what it says, it is attributing every single thing that either uh, has happened in, in the past or will happen into the future to God in His decree. Now, as we think of God's decree, I want you to think of it, uh, it, it, takes, it takes place in time and space, and we're going to get to that in a, in a couple weeks as we look at God's providence and, and His governance and, and how God works out His decree, but when you think of the decree of God, I want you to think about the mind of God, or maybe the will of God. I want you to think about... Um, I want you to think about God's decree happening um, in eternity past. And really, it it is really hard to think about as we think that it doesn't have a beginning because it is in God, it's of God, and it is uh, about eternity past. This begins, it says, God hath decreed in himself. Okay, so there was nothing outside of God uh, that made him decree what he did. uh, And to, to do that, it says... He's done it from all eternity. It says it's in view of his most wise, of his holy counsel, of his own will, freely, that is freely according to God, unchangeably, uh, we're going to look at some of these things in a little bit, and all things whatsoever comes to pass. When you think about these kind of statements, uh, what comes to your mind? When you, when you see a statement like this, what are some things that come to your mind immediately? What do you think of? Just raise your hand if you have anything going on. 
As we explore this chapter, uh, I hope that it would create a sense of awe in you, a sense of greater worship unto the Lord because of these things. And a lot of times when, when we see these things and we note that idea that from all eternity, God has basically planned everything. He has, uh, has a plan. He has a decree. He has his will. And whatsoever comes to pass, all things. So maybe the next thing we'll do is we'll, we'll define what decree is. Uh, it says in the Baptist Catechism, question 10, what are the decrees of God? The answer is God's decrees are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And typically when we think about that and what we're going to see in a lot of these passages that we're going to look at, we're going to see God's decree identified as like his purpose, his counsel, uh, his will. Uh, sometimes in the scripture it talks about God's pleasure, uh, some God's ways. Sometimes uh, these are ideas when we think about the decree of God uh, or his decrees as we might think of them ourselves. That his, it's his, his eternal purpose or plan that begins, uh, I don't even know, uh, beginning is the right idea because it's kind of a creature word, but it is of God and in God. And when you think of God, God is um, not like us. We have to think and plan and say, okay, what do I want to do here? And we make plans and then we say, and then, then what do I want to do? And, and then I come to the next point and then, then I say, well, if that happens, then what do I do? Uh, if you've ever played chess, uh, you get the board set up, everything is set up and you, you begin to play. And all of a sudden your opponent makes a move and you go, oh, if I do this, he's going to do this. Then if I do this, he's going to do that. This is not like how God, uh, if we could use the creaturely word, thinks. Uh, but God is pure act. He is like pure actuality. And so for him, uh, it's, it's like a, it's a singular idea. Okay? It's really uh, incredible to try to get our minds around this uh, as far as who God is and what he has done in eternity past. Not only to ordain whatsoever comes to pass, but also as we think of uh, in our own lives, the things that, that are happening to us, the things that have happened to us, to think about these things being God's plan, uh, sometimes that could be a little frightening, couldn't it? Sometimes it might, we might stand back and go, everything is God's plan? Everything that's happened to me is God's plan? When you hear that, everything that's happened in your life so far up until this point today, because none of you are here by accident, the very fact that you have a being is not an accident. What do you think about those things? What comes to your mind? Mark. Yeah, 
this is the basic definition of God, right? And, and remember, I, I know I said this a little bit earlier, but th- this idea of God's decree, it stands on the foundation of chapter 2, right? And so when, we, when you think about who God is, what are some attributes of God uh, that we need to be reminded of? When we think of uh, that God has decreed whatsoever comes to pass, and we start thinking about your own lives, you start thinking about your own history, what are some attributes of God that we need to keep in mind and remember in light of Him decreeing whatsoever comes to pass? What must we kind of hold tenaciously in our minds when we consider this? His justice. His justice? Yes, we're going to get to that. Uh, it speaks of that in, in this chapter. In chapter 3, the justice of God. And when you say justice, what do you mean by that? If we just said God is justice, uh, that we would, uh, it would cripple us, wouldn't it? It, it would, we would all say, oh, we all fall short of his glory and we're doomed. Praise God. Uh, this, this particular chapter also talks about God's mercy. It talks about God's grace on what sinners like you and I don't deserve. Uh, definitely. But the justice of God. And we're going to see also in this chapter that the justice of God is elevated up and puts his glory on display, uh, just like his grace does. What else do we need to remember about God? Eileen. Yes, thank you for saying that. So God is, we, got, we must remember that God is uh, most good, right? As sometimes the confession speaks about it. God is, is infinitely good, right? And he is incapable of sin. He's incapable of temptation, okay? And he cannot lie. Um, it's good to be reminded about those things about God and, and who is God. Um, let, let's also remember that God is most wise, and so this impacts us as, as trials do come into our lives and we think, God, what are you doing, right? How could this particular aspect come into my life? Why would you let that happen? Um, it's good for us to keep in mind who God is and how we understand those things and how we do live in a world that is broken in a world that he says is cursed, um, and so, this is a, a good definition from the Catechism. In Isaiah 46, verse 9, <clears throat> it says, Remember the former things of old. As uh, God talking. He says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying this, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Uh, this is a good reminder that, that God's plans cannot be thwarted and that, that God's counsel stands. He, he accomplishes all of his purposes. 
Uh, in this particular passage, I believe that God is uh, uh, throwing out to, to the idols of the world in, in, in a sense and saying, okay, if, if your idols are true, then uh, let's see if they can declare what's coming into the future. And God says, no, I am God. There is none like me. This is what God does being God as he declares the end from the beginning uh, of himself, uh, the confession says, and that his counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Um, there's another one in, in Ephesians 1.11, and we may look at this uh, a lot. This, this has a lot of the uh, language of the confession in Ephesians 1 verse 11. It says, in him, talking about Christians being uh, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. It says, having been predestined uh, according to the purpose of him as God, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Um, and so here we see, obviously, that word predestined, and we're going to get into that later about salvation. Uh, yes, Dick? Well, I would, I would talk about it as uh, the counsel of God to think of it's, it's within himself, it's of himself, and it's, it's his wisdom. Um, you know, we could obviously think of the Trinity uh, in that, but it's, it's not like he went outside, uh, outside of himself to garner counsel or wisdom outside of himself, but it's from himself. It's of himself. It's like his purposes. It's his counsel. It's his plan. He, he doesn't, uh, God does not, and we're going to see this later in the confession, God doesn't look down uh, the quarters of time almost like Deus and kind of get things rolling and lets things go and then look down the quarter of a time and say, well, what's going to happen down the road? And uh, oh, I foresee uh, it could go this way and maybe I'll make my decisions based on what we do. Uh, God doesn't do that. He, he does everything according to the counsel of his own will. And there's, there's, uh, there's nothing contingent, there's nothing outside of God uh, whereby he determines his will or his purposes. I would say that. Nathan, is there anything uh, to add? Yeah, I think the last few weeks when we considered uh, the attributes of God, it goes against the attributes of God's perfection for him to um, uh, change. Or grow. Remember, I use that that term. God is uneducated. Yes. Uh, because he, he, it, 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 if he has to learn something, or if he acts on the basis of something else that's contingency, then that implies a, an imperfection in himself. He's not perfect and complete to begin with. Uh, nor is he all say uh, of himself, independent. And so, for him to go outside uh, and learn from history, looking in the future or to garner counsel from outside himself, goes against not just scripture, but the nature of God as a perfect being, sufficient in and of himself. Yeah, we see this as God raises up nations 
Uh, we're going to see this like in view of, of sin or even looking at evil uh, and how, how God uh, is the first cause of all things, but how secondary causes work and how, how we as human beings, how, how do we have freedom? Uh, do we have ultimate freedom? Do we have libertarian free will where we can do whatever we want to do? Uh, uh, as we will note from the scriptures, we can, we can do those things of our free will in that that is guided or directed by our natures. Uh, but even in those things, uh, it, is, it is what God has decreed. Um, I like what uh, R.C. Sproul has said in the past as he talks about these huge ideas. It says that there are no maverick molecules in the universe. There is nothing that is not... Um, within the bounds of God's uh, sovereignty, as we think of the sovereignty of God. So in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, if you can read that, it says, uh, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground uh, apart from your father. So even, even the sparrows, uh, he goes on to say, but even the hairs of your head, as I was uh, getting ready this morning, I noticed I had a lot of hair in the sink. I was like, I don't want to lose any more. And you think, wait a minute, every hair of our head is numbered by God? This insignificant stuff on our, on our face, our heads, our, our bodies, our arms, it, it is numbered. It says, and the, and the purpose of this passage in saying that. It's not to make us laugh or go, oh, that's kind of funny, but to say, fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And the idea of this passage is like, do not fear those who kill the body and afterward cannot do nothing, but rather fear him who after killing the body can destroy your soul in hell. And, he, he, and the idea is uh, that, uh, you know, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's like, you know what? You know, you can trust in God. The, the, the sparrows, you know, you think of some little boy out there with a BB gun shooting at the birds, you know. None of those sparrows are going to fall. Not some guy out there with a slingshot. Not, not, not a sparrow is going to fall apart from the will of your father. Even those kind of things God is in charge of. And God is working in and through uh, all these things to his glory. So when we think of God's decree, all things decreed by God, uh, the question is huge about well, what about sin? What about my sin? What about my suffering? Uh, what about uh, how does that fit with God? Uh, does that make God the author of sin? Um, this is something that they wrestled with. Uh, writing up the confession. And look, look what they say. So it says that God causes and decrees whatever comes to pass. And in this like dot, 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 there's no ellipsis in, in the confession. But then it says, yet, so as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein. It says, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or the contingency of second causes taken away, but rather they are established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things, and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. 
So even here we see uh, these attributes of God. It's, they're going back to God's wisdom, God's power, God's faithfulness, even in these kinds of things, in that the will of the creature uh, is not, uh, how does it word it? There's no violence to the will of the creature. Um, and so as, as we think of the world that we live in, God has made us in such a way uh, that, that we are free to act according to our natures. Um, what we're not free to do is act, in one sense, outside the bounds of God. God has given us being. God has, uh, like Acts 17, uh, how, how's it worded? It says that, um, for we live and move and have our being in light of God. It is God that has given us, in one sense, our parents, or has established our heritage. It says he is the one that sets boundaries for us in that, you know, where we may live. It is God that that does all these things. And it it is really mind blowing to think how, how we want to know how we want to know why sometimes How, how does this all fit? And I'll just tell you now that there is a mystery to all of this. There is great mystery, and it says at the very end of this chapter 3 in the confession, it says it's a high mystery in how all these things work together. Uh, But we know that's what Scripture says, uh, that they do work together. But here in the confession, let's make really clear, they want to make sure that God is not the author of sin. And so, you know, I think they're dealing with the problem of evil here, and and sin and suffering and how does that all fit together and they they want to guard against the fact of saying we are not saying God is the author of sin God does not cause sin Uh, God does not um, compel he did not compel Adam to sin and yet uh, go ahead Nathan Defined as 
our wills are bound to our nature and of course to uh, sin as fallen humans. So I think it just it's, the confession is wrestling with language, but you, uh, as you're saying, you kind of appreciate the care in which they word things. Very precise. Yeah, they, they use very precise language to talk about these things. And uh, even today, I may be grappling with even the right words to use to be careful about how we talk about these things, um, for sure. So one of the things we had mentioned earlier, uh, James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil as far as who he is, and he himself tempts no one. First uh, 1 John 1.5, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all as we consider these things. Let, let us think about uh, Genesis 50, uh, verse 20. We, you know, Joseph, um, one of, uh, of the 12 of, of Jacob, right? One of his 12 sons. Uh, in, in Genesis 50, 20, it says, uh, <clears throat> the story of Joseph is, um, what, what happened to Joseph as he was growing up? What kind of kid was he when he was growing up? He was among 12 brothers, right? And, and a sister. And what kind of, uh, how, how would you describe Joseph? What's that? Spoiled? Why? Jill, why is he spoiled? Did you say he was daddy's boy? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, more or less, yeah. Yeah, he, he, was, he was dad's favorite. Uh, he gave him a coat of many colors. But let's also think about this too. God gave Joseph a dream, didn't he? And what was that dream about that, that God gave Joseph? Kim, do you remember the dream, like big picture? What, what, did, what did basically... Yeah, so if, if we think about that, this, this dream that he had, he's boasting to his mother and his father and his brothers that you're going to all bow down to me. Uh, now, but let's think also about that as, as, he, as you tell a sinner that, how are they going to respond, especially if they're older brother or older sister, or mom or dad, they're going to think, who do you think you are, right? Well, later down the road, is, is, uh, they wanna, some of them want to get rid of Joseph and they, they dig a pit and want to throw him in and uh, put him in and and then uh, later one of the brothers comes up I can't remember I think it was Reuben and he's like let's not kill him let's sell him off to the trader let's make some money take his coat rip it up put some blood on it and tell his dad that he died right all of these things all of these different circumstances God is working through all these different kinds of things bringing these men that were headed to Egypt um, across the way at just the right time according to God's purpose. And, and, um, and at the end of the story, it says, As for you, you meant evil against me. Your actions were evil. Let's note here in this text that we see the sovereignty of God and we see the responsibility of man for their sin. And it says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What does he say? That it would bring about many people should be kept alive as they are today. 
Tom won't uh, probably give today for us to talk about Pharaoh. And uh, all through Exodus, I, th- I think 10 times, it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Uh, and yet, in some of the texts, it says, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And it, how does God not do violence against Pharaoh? Well, as he was growing Pharaoh up in that time, that culture, and as is a king, Pharaoh wanted to do what Pharaoh wanted to do. Uh, and when the Israelites came in, especially Exodus 3.19, <clears throat> he tells uh, Moses that Pharaoh is not going to, I'm, I'm going to tell Pharaoh uh, to basically let you go. And he is not going to do it without a mighty hand basically being upon him. Um, one of the, the highest crimes, uh, the, one of the most heinous crimes in history was the innocent son of God being executed. In Acts 4.27, he says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Notice this language. He says, To do whatever your hand and whatever your plan had predestined to take place. Now, obviously, we know that evil does not happen. Sin does not happen as an end in itself, uh, but God uh, permits sin for the purposes of His glory. Sin is not an end in itself. Uh, Karen, like you had mentioned earlier, that uh, it is going to put on display His glory and His justice and His wrath against sin and against sinners. Um, I've got to really move fast here. In, in chapter 3, the paragraph 2, I want us to see in the paragraph 2 that God's decree is not conditioned. Uh, it says, although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet hath He not decreed anything because He foresaw it as future or as that which would come to pass uh, upon such conditions. That God does not act, and we're going to see this more in the the chapter on providence and things like that, but God does not do things, He does not decree based on what He will foresee uh, in the future. It's not conditioned. Uh, We've been going through the book of Daniel, and in chapter Daniel, verse uh, chapter 4, verse 35, it says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will Look at this, among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? That's kind of hard to swallow, isn't it? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar learned these things the hard way. Uh, But he's saying there that that God is sovereign. Um, God is in charge. And that even in the host of heaven, there is none like God. There is none um, with a a will or a purpose like God. God is uh, apart from His creation. That's why I want to make sure we keep a distinction between the Creator and the creature. And to recognize and realize that angels are created beings. Um, They they are are not outside of God's boundaries. Many of you were here when Pastor Nathan took you through the book of Job, right? And the book of Job... Uh, Satan has to ask permission uh, in the book of Job to do anything against Job. Uh, He has to ask permission uh, 
uh, from God. In chapter 3, verse paragraph 3, we see uh, the decree of God um, decreeing salvation uh, for His glory and also His justice uh, that we talked about earlier. It says, by the decree of God... Uh, for the manifestation of His glory, some men and angels are predestinated or foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ uh, to the praise of His glorious grace. Others being left <clears throat> to act in their sin to their just condemnation uh, to the praise of His glorious justice. <clears throat> Now here we see, it says, some men and angels are predestinated. Uh, We'll we'll just take that little slice there and think about that. And when we think about uh, mankind, uh, especially after the fall, uh, we are are left with all men, all women uh, being in Adam and in need of salvation. And so here it's saying that some men uh, out of this mass of humanity there were some, men and women, okay, not just men, uh, but there, there are some that are predestinated. There are some that are elect. There are some that are chosen by God for salvation, for eternal life. And then he says, <clears throat> and angels uh, are predestinated. As we think of angels, uh, might kind of spin our heads and go, well, I, I know that uh, people are predestinated, but how are angels predestinated uh, as, as we think about that? And uh, we know that Jesus Christ, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says uh, that He came uh, to save the offspring of Abraham. And it particularly says He did not come to save the angels. Uh, In 1 Timothy chapter 5, it talks about the elect angels of God. And there there are some angels uh, that have not fallen that are the elect also. And I think the best way to understand that in, in light of this particular passage here is that angels, they do not get salvation. They do not get eternal life. Those that have fallen, they do not get eternal life through Jesus Christ. There is no hope for the angels that have fallen, uh, but that God has prepared uh, hell for them uh, forever. That uh, in Revelation, I believe, chapter 20, it talks about their torment uh, and their judgment and their smoke going up uh, forever and ever, uh, day and night. And, and so I don't think it's talking about angels being predestinated for eternal life. But I think the idea is that God's elect angels, they serve us in and through salvation uh, like they did at, um, when Jesus was resurrected and you have an angel at the tomb or angels uh, even working and being ministering spirits of God. Uh, in a sense, angels are not eternal, but I believe that angels will also be a part of the new heavens and the new earth, although they won't have glorified, resurrected bodies like us, uh, but that they, they will, uh, in some sense, have existence into the eternity future uh, to the praise of God's glorious grace. Um, it, it is a, um, well, I need, I need to get on to the next slide here. Oh, I've got like five minutes. Okay, in uh, chapter three, uh, verse or paragraph three through four, that idea of salvation and judgment in Ephesians one. Uh, I know that some of you have been reading that uh, this this week and last. It says, "Look, look at the language here of of God's grace, of His glory, of His majesty, in light of redemption, 
in light of forgiveness of sins. Uh, Ephesians 1, 5, it says, even as he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world. I mean, as, as we just con- consider that, that, that idea is like decree language. That God has chosen us, talking to these Christians in Ephesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. It says, in love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Again, it's here, look at this language, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Uh, let, me, let me say this, that sometimes when we think about things that happen, especially sin and suffering, sometimes we think God is obligated to give everybody the exact same goodness and mercy. Um, but we do not find that in the Scriptures, that, that, that God is, uh, mercy is not obligated. Um, that when God shows mercy, uh, like in Romans 9, it says He will, he will show mercy in quoting Exodus. He will show mercy to whom He wills. Uh, and He hardens whom He wills. And it is a gracious thing uh, of the Lord that, that any of us here are saved. Um, in chapter 3, paragraph 5, uh, as Nathan, Pastor Nathan mentioned a little bit earlier, God's decree is immutable because God is immutable. God is uh, unchanging. Um, his plan, His decree is from eternity and it is certain, uh, it is infallible, it is perfect, it is most wise and most holy, and it is most good. Um, the confession says this, it says, those of mankind that are predestinated to life, God, before the foundation of the world, uh, was laid according to his eternal and immutable uh, purpose and the secret counsel and the good pleasure of his will. He hath chosen in Christ unto everlasting glory out of his mere free grace and love without any other thing in the creature as a condition or cause moving him thereunto. And again, it's trying to say that, that God acts of himself and in himself as he decrees. Um, and that this happens before the foundation of the world. Um, you know, let me just say this about this such a huge topic that as you are reading through the scriptures and you come to 1 Kings chapter 22 and it says that uh, a soldier at random uh, pulls out a bow and fires it. And it happens to, our language, go into the chief of armor uh, right at the right spot, right at the right time to hit King Ahab. And he ends up bleeding out and he ends up Uh, accomplishing God's purposes in that. It says, at random, he shoots this this arrow. Uh, But but in the Hebrew, the idea is like, um, in his innocence. And so, he he just fired an arrow. For him, he just fired one. Uh, he He wasn't trying to hit King Ahab. And yet, God used that to bring about his purposes um much in the same way as, as we think of King Herod when he died. 
Uh, what was he doing? I believe it's Acts chapter 12, I think it is. And he is uh, in, I think, Caesarea Philippi is up near the coast. And he's, he's boasting about all these things. And he's giving gifted oratory and all these things. And everybody's praising him and saying, A God! You're a God! Not a man! You're a God! And it says that the angel of the Lord struck him. And uh, the, the idea is that he had all these worms or whatever in his intestines. And uh, it kills him. Now, did God put the worms there to do that because of his lifestyle and the choices that he made? And his boasting was in an excitement there. It says the angel of the Lord slew him. This is God's sovereign uh, purpose and his plan and an execution of God's judgment on Herod uh, for his willful rebellion. Um, and God's judgment on him in that. Well, in this high mystery, uh, we only have a few minutes, but <laughs> I'm sorry this has been like such a fire hydrant. But how do you see trials and sufferings in view of God's decree? Like when you think, what is the purpose of sin and suffering? How should we understand it as believers? How do we understand these ideas? Jason. Yeah, in Philippians it says, it calls the Christians, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The idea is um, in in worship, right? Fear and trembling. But then it goes on to say, for it is God who works in you both to will and to act according to His good pleasure. And, you know, when we do, when we are sanctified... We, we say thank you, God, because it, yeah, it is Him who is at work in our hearts. And so, uh, Jill. Okay, so when, it, when you're going through a trial or something, you can consider it joy, right? In James 1. Uh, why did you say? What for? Yeah, it is not a random happening that is happening to us. That, that can be hard, right? It, through um, some of the sin that we face in this cursed world. 
uh, we face death. Uh, but yeah, I, I, like you said there, the purpose in it, the scripture tells us, it is for our maturity, right? It is to make us draw near to Christ in prayer. It is, it is to cause us to uh, seek the Lord. Uh, Jason. From your time in ministry, are there some uh, specific like themes or areas where you feel like this speaks and needs to be heard or you just, or this is highly applicable? <laughs> Every single day. I mean, honestly, every single day. Uh, whether Whatever kind of trial you're in. I mean, as we live and move, we are in the drama of redemption today. Do you understand that? Like everything that we do, it's like, oh Lord, you are working in my life to bring about your purposes. So you feel like, you know, God wants to, you to tell your neighbor about Christ. And you're convicted by that. Pray about it. Go to them in gentleness and say, you know, try to strike up a conversation with them. I'm not questioning it, amen, we need to Oh, no, yeah. What I'm saying is, like, ways we can get into wrong thinking, and most need to hear this. Does that make sense? No, I don't understand what you mean there. It's, it's all right, we're out of time. Okay. We'll talk later. How, how does this, how would this decree, how does it comfort you? Or does it? Does it terrify you? How, how does this kind of sovereign, providential hand of God, how, how should that, how's that meant to comfort you? I think a lot of people stop, or don't stop quickly enough to look to God. I think as we try, have trials, it's so easy to get wrapped in the pain or the suffering or whatever's going on and not stop to say, wait, like Jill said, this is the hand of God allowing this to be in my life, and so therefore I need to stop and look what I can learn. We just see it, and it's painful, and we trudge on, and like, you know, you get so wrapped up in the hardship rather than waiting and saying, oh, wait, this is God's decree. It's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to see the trial is so hard and self-focused rather than what the Lord is doing from the trial. Yeah. I know Pastor Nathan has said multiple times through the book of Job that, you know, sometimes we want to know we're going through a trial. We want to know why. Why, God? It must be because, you know, sometimes we don't know. And sometimes God doesn't reveal why uh, to us. And we may not know this side of eternity. But what we can know, uh, like from Romans 8, uh, 28, um, it, it, it is very, very good as we, as we consider this. He says, we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So as we think about our lives and the things that we're going through, they are for our good, they are for our maturity into Christ's likeness, and they are for God's glory. <laughs> these things are indeed mysterious. How do all these things work? We may be discovering it for all eternity. <laughs> uh, anybody want to add anything in 30 seconds? Really quick. <laughs> Jason? 
Yeah, it should encourage us to pray, too, knowing that God uses means to accomplish His purposes. And we don't know what His purposes are, but let's pray, right? Let's pray now and close our time. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged by the understanding of Your decree, Lord, of Your sovereignty, of Your goodness, of Your mercy, of Your holiness. Oh God, as we enter into corporate worship, oh Lord, as we pray, as we come before you, God. I pray you would change us today. Lord, we, may, you, may you sanctify us. May you cause those to be born again who do not know you. Oh, Lord, work among us, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.